Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the show. I am excited for this one. This is an awesome interview. Today, we're going to be diving into the business side of sports, and it's a platform you don't want to miss out on. You're going to hear about Players TV. You're going to hear about Shop Mechanics, uh, the guy who created them, uh, the one who is behind the scenes doing all of this. And we have a fun conversation. We're going to be talking about his sports career and kind of what he learned from sports that he took into the business world, and then basically talking about his business and dissecting it and understanding uh, the platform he has created for professional athletes. It's an amazing interview here on the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson, uh, here going five years, a little over four months now, five years and four months of the show. Back in 2017, we started this thing. Appreciate every single one of you guys. I say this before every episode, but I want to make sure you guys know how much I appreciate you guys. It's because the supporters that um, have have been on here, whether it be from day one or maybe this is your first time listening, um, every supporter matters. That's how we've gotten into 94 different countries. That's how we've scaled the show out to where we're at. It all comes from you guys. And, and you guys understand this, like, Every little download, every single review, everything matters, even if it's just one. So I just appreciate everybody who's listening, tuning in, and and paying attention to the show. So in the introduction, you guys uh, heard that I'm bringing on somebody who is he's a specialist in uh, in his field, and we're going to be talking a little bit about business, a little bit about basketball, and getting to know him and uh, how he actually combined both of them together, which I, is why I find it so fascinating. But joining me today is Colin Castella, who. Is known as Coach C among some people, but we're going to get to know him a little bit better. So, Colin, thanks for joining the show, man. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks, Shane. Very much appreciated for having me on. Excited to kind of chat and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, people find it interesting. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, people are probably already Googling your name once I start, you know, when I post things up on social media to like promote a show or some people will start Googling the name. So they might have an idea of who you are, but I want to rewind the clock. I do this with a lot of the guests. I want to rewind the clock and get to know you before we get to know you at like, from a, a business perspective, let's get to know uh, Colin as the athlete and, and just the sports background that you might have. So let's talk about that. What's your background in the athletic world as either an athlete or whatever, um, so that we can kind of get to know you? Yeah, great, great question. So, um, you know, probably the easiest way to start off is, you know, uh, lifetime athlete, love sports growing up. Um, I definitely have long distance running genetics, um, only unfortunately hated running. Uh, and so fell in love with basketball, which I most definitely don't have basketball genetics. So, you know, ended up probably like a division three lower NAI level kind of guy played a little bit Juco. Um, and then, you know, kind of didn't end up playing a ton of college basketball. Um, but, you know, really kind of fell in love with the skill development and coaching side of the equation. Um, and so that's kind of where, you know, I found myself into the basketball ecosystem. So, you know, I can't jump very high. I'm not very fast, but I, I got a decent jumper. And that's about where I ended up. <laughs> Yo, so th those who know me and who have followed me or have known me personally, that is what you just said there is like it sums me up in a nutshell. Like I've always <laughs> been a shooter. Like my whole life I was a good shooter. That's how that's how I made my own and I always tell my kids that I coach I'm like, "Listen, 
I wasn't the most athletic. I held my own, but I wasn't the most athletic. I'm definitely not now. And but I I always got minutes because they could count on me to shoot the ball. Like that's I could shoot, and I didn't care if there's people in my face. I didn't care. Like I just was so confident in my shot. So what you were explaining right there, kind of like it makes me smile because that's that's me in a nutshell. So that's why I have a lot of respect for you. I love the fact that your focus is well. You 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 have a focus on shooting, but there's other things that you've focused on as well in regards to skill development. But you mentioned something, Colin. You said you played for a JUCO, and you kind of just passed over that real quick. What JUCO did you go to? So I played for about a semester at Blue Mountain Community College um, out there in Pendleton, Oregon. Um, and it's it's funny how small of a world it is. So like, you know, one of my roommates there, I ended up teaching with his dad at a high school. And then the other roommate is Colby Blaine, who's the head coach at College of Idaho now. Um, so it's funny. It's, it's a really, really tiny, small world. So I ended up, I was there for about a semester. And then my best friends uh, and my girlfriend at the time were all at Washington State University. Uh, so I ended up leaving and going to Washington state and trying to walk on there and, and kind of had a fun, uh, intramural, uh, run where we went to the intramural national championships a couple of times and whatnot. But, um, it ended up being a good decision because I married the girl and we've been married for like, uh, 13 years now. So, uh, we got two kids. So it was a better decision, uh, than being in, in Pendleton, Oregon. Um, oh yeah. but yeah, play, played a little Juco, but, uh, you know, was coming out, out of high school with a handful of injuries, had a pretty bad groin injury had a pretty bad back injury. So, you know, as far as like speed and explosion, I was about as slow as you could possibly get back then. So, uh, you know, Juco wasn't the route for me. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what's funny, though? Like, I love the interview, like, discussion there, too, because, I mean, for those who know, they know. Blue Mountain in Pendleton, Oregon. If you're listening, to Google Pendleton, Oregon. You'll find <laughs> Wild Horse Casino, and uh, that's about it over there. So, you know, that's, that's, that's Pendleton. Um, it's yeah, you probably made the right decision. Let's just say it that way. You you definitely did. Uh, making the life decision that you need to. And hey, intramurals, obviously, I mean, there's some talent there too, and you got to get reps in. So that's that's that. Shout out Colby Blaine, by the way. That's awesome. Hey, uh, Colby's had, a great dude. <laughs> yeah, we had Colby on the show last year, and we've just been, you know, I've been close with Colby for a while because you know, I went to high school. He went to Boise. I remember uh he didn't play as much, but I do actually remember he was a year older than you both were a year older than me, but like he was a year older than me, and I kind of remembered him and then Seeing his success he's had over at College of Idaho has been phenomenal. Uh, that guy is something special. So it's a very small world. Of what you said, perfect. Very small world. Now, Colin, yeah. real quick, in, in the college basketball scene, even the small, the very small taste that you had of it at the junior college level, from what you can remember back then, um, what would you say was like a bigger – was it a, was it a big transition, even at the junior college level going from high school to there? Was there any differences there in the speed of the game? Or what did you notice specifically as an athlete? Yeah, definitely like speed and athleticism was kind of the biggest, I'd say, jump immediately, right? Um, you know, kind of the other piece was just like the the full-time dedication to it. So I graduated high school in 2005. And so it's not even like, at that point, it wasn't even what it is now, right? Where essentially it doesn't matter what level you play at now, whether it be JUCO, NAIA, even Division Three. Essentially, if you're going to play college basketball, it's like a full-time gig, right? And then there's also school, which is the full-time gig on top of it. So, you know, I'd say like the speed and athleticism was probably the biggest piece. You know, anytime you go kind of the JUCO route, there's kind of a mixed bag of, you know, kind of athletes and characters that are there. You know, some are like D1 level, you know, kind of talent or athleticism that maybe didn't have the grades to match. You know, some of them are guys like me who didn't have the athleticism to match, but had maybe some of the skill to be able to make it work. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a cool experience because it was my first real kind of like melting pot background as far as like different people from different places all playing together. You know, I grew up in, in a place called Clarkson, Washington, which is right on the Washington, Idaho border up there. Um, 
And so basically, you know, the kids you start playing basketball with in, you know, kindergarten or first grade are the kids you finish playing basketball with in 12th grade. Um, you know, so really kind of, I'd say that that melting pot mix was kind of a really cool experience. And, and one of, I'd say like the biggest differences between, you know, my basketball experience leading up to it. That's interesting that you say that. Um, cause now like club basketball, I coach club basketball, yeah. club basketball is kind of a thing now. Like you now, like, almost have if you want to like, actually it's political type deal too. You gotta, you gotta keep the reps going, but like club basketball, that's one of the benefits in my opinion is because you do, it's like a melting pot. You get a lot of kids from all the, and you learn how to mesh with different personalities. You play during your high school season. You might have one, you might be the star of the team. You go into a club basketball scene. You might be actually like you're playing a role. You're sitting in the corner and, and doing your thing and waiting for other guys to facilitate completely different. But I, and I think that's huge for athletes because if you can adapt, you can, you can do a lot of things. You can learn and you can grow as a basketball player or whatever sport it might be. Um, but I do what you're just saying right there. Cause I graduated in 2006 from a school here locally called Meridian. Um, and uh, one of my teammates, well, two of my teammates went to Columbia Basin in the NWAC, same uh, conference as Blue Mountain. And yeah. uh, and my wife's actually from Kennewick. So very, very familiar with the whole NWAC scene and stuff. And it was around that same time frame. And I remember the the guys that went to Columbia Basin, there were, I mean, there were athletes that were coming down from, you know, they were either D1 or D2 bounce backs that were coming through and still super ultra talented. And even now, which what's wild is you mentioned like back then it's a little different. Now it's even crazier because you've got the transfer portal in college yeah. sports that has completely changed everything. I mean, you've got way more talent going to junior college right now than ever it was before because most of these D1 schools are looking at they're looking at transfer portals first for their recruiting because they want somebody who's been through the college uh, student athlete scene. They understand the, the whole system. They don't have to mm -hmm. wait for a freshman to come in. So a lot of these freshmen, even these like four or five star recruits, are actually going junior college first. And they're 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 stacking over there first because the the transfer portal has changed so much, um, which is wild. But yeah, it's it's crazy, and I think uh, people need to know that. I think athletes should probably know that um, before they get over there and realize like it's not going to be that whole D one or bust mentality is kind of crazy. You can still learn a lot from going to junior college, and especially now with the talent level that's uh, that's there. Um, we're going to get into this in just a second, but I think it's what I commend about you is even in your like mid thirties right now. You're still hooping. And that's what I always like dude, <laughs> trying to <laughs> I, No, I love it, man. I always I kind of look, look up to people like yourself because I'm the same way. I'm still trying to hoop. Uh, I wasn't like the best guy, you know, playing ball my whole life, but I could shoot. And and I always see it at tournaments and stuff. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But like no, nobody on my team besides one guy. And that was the guy who went to Columbia Basin and actually stayed there. The other one left. Um, he's the only one who still hoops to this day out of like our whole entire high school team. I'm like, dude, it was only 16 years ago. Come on now. But uh, <laughs> it's cool. But anyway, so so Colin, when when you what you're like, at least when I first like saw your name start blowing up was on YouTube shop mm -hmm. mechanics. Okay. All of a sudden, like your name started blowing up, got over a million followers on YouTube. I want to know what made you like, think of this, like, Oh, there's an opportunity there because you got into this digital marketing game onto the online space, onto the YouTube space. But what made you make that shift of like, Hey, I can transfer these skills that I know onto the online world and uh, potentially make a, a living off of this or a good, good income off of this. So what, what kind of made that transition shift and, and how did that all happen? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a funny story and it's one that was kind of uh, bred out of an accident more than anything. Nice. So, you know, basically I went to college. I originally wanted to be a sneaker designer. Um, so at Washington State, I thought I was going to be an industrial design, um, you know, kind of major. I got there and then quickly realized that they just had it listed on their website, but didn't actually have it as a degree. But 
my girlfriend at the time was there. My two buddies were there. I was like, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll just be a regular art major. Um, and so after I finished at Washington State, played a lot of hoop. Uh, it was basically kind of what I was there to do. <laughs> but got done. I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I love basketball. I like coaching. You know, I suppose maybe I could be an art teacher and, and coach the basketball. So I went and got my art teaching certificate um, and then ended up, you know, kind of going the high school coaching route. So I worked at a tiny little town out here in Idaho called Notice. Idaho. It's kind of out by Parma, if you know where that's at. Um, literally, there's like maybe 16 kids per graduating class. It's a little rural kind of farm school. Um, and started as a JV coach out there and working underneath the varsity coach. And, you know, really kind of at that point started to fall in love with the skill development side. You know, I was always, you know, strong with the X's and O's and that sort of thing, but really, you know, fell in love with the actual skill development. This was kind of around, you know, probably like 2010, 2011. So really before kind of this big boom in the skill development space that we see now with, you know, trainers on Instagram and TikTok and all over that, that sort of stuff. And so um, really there weren't very many people that were quote unquote trainers, right? There might be some people that ran clinics or camps in the summer and that sort of thing, but really not very many people who actually like trained people for a living. Um, and so I kind of found out that like shooting was kind of my main area of expertise um, and really kind of my, my problem solving process around it, whereas you know, up to that point, most everybody I'd ever seen teach shooting was very like regimented, like, hey, this is the 10 steps you have to do. And every single shooter has to do these exact same 10 steps. And while working with a lot of these athletes at like small schools, like at a notice, I found out that like you could increase a kid's shooting percentage by a lot very quickly by focusing on like one or two small details of their mechanics. Right. And so I started to notice these patterns of like, hey, you know, there's these four or five things that if you correct one of them, a lot of times can take a shooter from being 15% to 35%, like almost immediately. Wow. Um, and so once I kind of realized that and like, Hey, everybody's an individual and it kind of started with more free throw instruction than anything. Um, I kind of had this aha moment, like, wait a second. I think this is information that a lot of people probably don't know. Cause growing up, you know, the internet wasn't really that big of a thing, right? Probably around like fifth or sixth grade is when it came around. YouTube wasn't a thing growing up, you know, basically there was some VHS or some DVDs if you wanted to learn basketball. But other than that, it was kind of like, you'd go to your local clinic and whatever information they had, they had. Um, and I quickly started to realize that most of the information specifically around shooting was kind of the exact same from like the 1970s and 1980s. And even if you look at the history, a lot of it even back from like the two-handed set shot days where, you know, yep. you were taught to push the ball with two hands. And a lot of that information and teaching was still being kind of taught through, you know, 2010, essentially. Um, and so basically I kind of thought like, hey, what if there was a way to get information out there and essentially help athletes, you know, learn more about basketball and more about their own bodies and their own body biomechanics. And that's where kind of the shot mechanics brand was born um, and really is born out of like, hey, I want to make basketball a full time gig. Um, I love teaching. I love art, but it was absolutely exhausting. Um, and, you know, really being passionate about basketball was like, hey, how do I make basketball my full time gig? Do I go back into school and be a graduate assistant, go the college coaching route? Um, my sister was married to the son of a division, division one head college coach. And that seemed like a whole thing, constantly moving your family around and everything. And so I was like, I think. I know a little bit about art. I know a little bit about design. I know a little bit about kind of, you know, video editing and that sort of stuff. Maybe there's a way to kind of monetize it online. So that's kind of where the whole kind of concept came from was like, hey, how do I make basketball a full-time gig without necessarily having to go the full-time coaching route? And that's that's kind of where I leaned into it from. Man, that's crazy. So <clears throat> it's funny you you were a couple things to dissect there. Two-handed push shot, like, yeah. <laughs> 
Yo, I just literally this week, because Roberto Bergerson from Boise, he just got announced yeah. as being the assistant coach at Boise State. Roberto was my idol growing up. So I watched him religiously in the fourth and fifth grade because he was playing at Boise State back then. And his, I actually interviewed him. He was like my favorite player of all time. I was a complete fanboy. Um, and I remember what's funny you say that, Colin, is I used to shoot with two hands. I was just telling my kids yeah. this yesterday. I used to shoot with two hands. And I had actually, I was a pretty good shooter in the fourth grade, but like, you know, playing Y ball and stuff. I didn't have anyone to teach me. It was Roberto Bergerson. And it was because he got into Sports Illustrated. Like I'd watch his game all the time. Like I'd go to the home games at the Pavilion, which is now to, uh, whatever it is now, Extra Mile Arena or whatever. But it used to be called the Pavilion. Used to go to those games. I'd watch how he played. I'd watch how he shoot. But like it was when he was in Sports Illustrated after one of the Utah State games and it was, uh, I believe it was my fifth grade year. I saw how he was holding the ball and I was like, oh, I got to like, change my shot. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's completely that different. different. So I just, that's exactly what it was like. If it weren't for that specific moment, I don't know how long I would have been shooting two handed because up to that point, I had never actually been taught how to shoot differently. And then honestly, I started thinking, um, I started thinking about it. I, I never was taught by any of my coaches either in middle school or even high school. They kind of like let the students like if, if you're if you can shoot the ball to shoot the ball, we're not going to teach you the mechanics because we got to focus on the other stuff. So I didn't really have a trainer to teach me if I didn't figure that out on my own. I don't know. Maybe I never would have figured out how to shoot the ball with you know the proper form, I guess. So shout out to Roberto. But it's, it's it kind of speaks to you, the type of work you were doing. And then the other thing I want to dissect here, YouTube. So as someone myself, I run a, I forgot to tell you this before we started, recording. I actually run a, another business called Scarlet and Great. So I run a show for Ohio State football on YouTube with my business partners and monetize. Everyone's like, oh, I want to monetize YouTube. Well, we partnered with a company to get us, you know, to help us speed that process along because we were a little bit uneducated in that, in that realm. And, you know, we finally got monetized on YouTube and we're doing our thing now, but uh, we're nowhere near your following. We only have like 4,300 followers. So it's just a couple hundred bucks a month coming through on that check right now. But the fact of the matter is getting monetized on YouTube is one, not easy, but two, like you got to be consistent. You got to make it professional. So I, I'm curious, like when you put your stuff on YouTube, did you even like, did you, ex how fast did it blow up? Cause like right now you got over a million followers, but how fast did it, did it start growing? Was it pretty quick because you were one of the originals? Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. And, and just even getting onto YouTube was kind of an, an accident in and of itself. So when <laughs> I decided like, Hey, I want to make this full-time thing. I'm kind of the type of guy who, when I do something, I like, kind of go over the top and do it, you know, bigger than I probably should right out of the gate. So I told my wife, I was like, Hey, this is what I want to do. I want to do this online basketball training. She was like, cool, whatever, like do your thing. Um, and so I ended up spending our entire life savings on computer equipment, building a website. I hired a firm here in Boise. Um, and essentially, I mean, this is like 2011 ish, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Um, and I had like a multi-tier membership thing where like they couldn't even figure out how to do it on the on from like a tech perspective and everything. And so literally like I built this whole membership website in about 2011, 2012, which is like way before, you know, Netflix took off and people were paying recurring monthly revenue and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I put it out there and I didn't really think about like, I just assumed you put stuff on the internet and then like thousands of people find it, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't have any like SEO strategy. I didn't, you know, social media really wasn't even a thing. Like Facebook was kind of around and growing, but you know, Instagram wasn't huge. You know, there for sure wasn't things like TikTok and Snapchat and all that. Um, and YouTube was still pretty much in its infancy. It was still pretty new. Um, and like they had just kind of started the monetization process on that side. So I rolled out this membership website and then it was just like freaking crickets. It was like, I get one visitor a day, maybe two if it was a hot day. And I was like, oh crap. Well, I put my entire life savings into this and essentially I had made like 200 plus videos, you know, pre-produced them, made them all up with drills, workouts, breakdowns, et cetera. 
Um, and really kind of the YouTube thing happened because I had all this content, no traffic on the website and was like, well, I guess I should do something with it. So I ended up actually kind of taking about a year off and remodeling my house. Um, and then while I was doing that, I took the content I already made for the website and just kind of started dripping it on YouTube. I put out like two or three videos a week and just kind of like started to build the YouTube following. And it's interesting because it wasn't like an overnight success. You know, I'd say ended up getting some pretty significant traction, maybe uh, probably like six or seven months into it. Um, but really it was, you know, significant success. The biggest basketball channel at that time had, I think, 19,000 subscribers or somewhere around there. Um, so it wasn't the type of thing where it was, you know, coming into an ecosystem that had already been built. It was kind of growing at the time. So there was like a huge luck component to it. And I think there was probably two major luck components. One that YouTube just happened to be where it was when it was. And so I just happened to kind of hit it at the right time. Um, so I can't, can't really take credit for that. And number two, I think the other big piece that I had was I already had a huge content library that I spent a ton of time editing and putting together. And, you know, so most people, when they decide they want to do YouTube, they get super hyped up. They're like, man, I'm going to grow, you know, grow this following. They start putting out videos. They might spend six hours making a video and then it gets three views. And then they yeah. are like, okay, well, that's lame. I'll, I'll make another one. And they, you know, spend like eight hours because they're like, I'm going to make it even better. And then they get four views or whatever it is. Right. And, it, and it's really easy to start kind of comparing yourself to the other channels that are getting millions of views or thousands of views or whatever it is. Um, and so I think where most people have the quit phase that I call it of YouTube of like, man, this sucks. I put in eight hours and got four views. Um, I already had the content previously made. And so I just continued to go through where normal people would have the quit phases. Um, and so I think that was kind of a, a big piece to number one, my success, but number two, just getting lucky that I was able to already have it finished, already put the work in. Um, so to continue to grow that audience. So I'd say it was probably about a year, year and a half before it really started to kind of, um, you know, catch some steam, uh, you know, still had some big L's along the way <laughs> after that. But, um, you know, that's kind of how I, I got into YouTube and it was kind of an accidental stumble into it. Yo, that's wild though, because, and most people who listen to this know that <clears throat> I work in the, in the digital marketing space. We were talking about, I work for a company called ClickFunnels um, as a full-time job. And, and so I'm familiar with everything that you're saying right now, kind of like, You've mentioned quit points. And, and as, a, as a content producer myself, content creator with this podcast, I've experienced that, right? I, I actually just oh, posted on LinkedIn. Dude, like people, they they there's quit phases. Like they don't they don't want to see something out and write it out. But there's also, like you mentioned, I love the the whole like luck factor. But, you know, they say luck is when, op or what is it? Preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you had videos in a content library. It happened to be a, YouTube was where it was at at the moment. And you were able to, hit that opportunity and boom. So yeah, call it luck, but you still were prepared for it. Um, but I love that the fact that you utilize the the content you already have. I, I think what a lot of people, what I teach people on a daily basis for my full-time job is like, you do have content. You just don't realize it. You can repurpose a lot of your stuff that you already have um, yeah. and, and, and whatnot for, for good things. Maybe it won't work in a certain format, but maybe it works in a different type of format and you just have to repurpose your content. So it seems like that's kind of what you did. And like, it's not overnight. You said like over a year, year and a half, you know, before like kind of started to take off truly. Like it's just one of those things you gotta, you gotta keep working at. And um, I mean, right now it's a little bit different than back in 2011 um, and then yeah. all that time. So it's like, I mean, there's, there's just different things, but there's also some benefits now you've got, like you said, TikTok, Instagram, everything. Like there's ways to actually like organically market your stuff and get your stuff out there. Now, Colin, when you, when you started, putting YouTube, what was your business format? So like, what's your business format now? Like you still create content on YouTube for shop mechanics. You've got a website. I know that. So like, how does your, how does everything mesh together? Um, and like you, you mentioned before you weren't, you're not no longer doing training, but like, how do you mesh the businesses together? 
is my next question because YouTube's all free content. So do you run into a problem where it's like you've given too much for free and now they don't want to pay? I guess like a lot of entrepreneurs kind of run into that issue. So I'm just curious what your your you know experience is there. Yeah, great question. And there's there's a handful of ways to kind of go about answering this. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, really kind of shop mechanics at the end of the day was content marketing. So essentially, um, you know, I had a mentor who once told me like, hey, you can give away the ingredients, but you don't give away the recipe, right? And so when you think about like, you know, virtual training specifically, you know, you can do videos on a move breakdown or a drill or whatever, but it's really the prescription is where the value is essentially, right? So I always thought about, you know, basically kind of the way the business was built on YouTube was, you know, hey, you're going to grow the audience on YouTube. And essentially, this is how they get to know you. This is how they build a bond and a connection. And then you monetize them off platform via selling training products, tools, you know, all that sort of good stuff. Um, so essentially, you know, a lot of our, our content that we created on YouTube was a lot of like top three drills to increase your shooting range or top four moves to, you know, burn your defender with a crossover or whatever it is. Um, and then on the back end, we'd give away something for free, whether it be a workout or some sort of, uh, you know, diagnostic tool and then sell some sort of more program system of like, hey, this is a three week shooting workout or this is my, you know, top kind of secret drills program together, et cetera. So really kind of the monetization model is getting them off platform and then monetizing elsewhere. Um, because a lot of people don't realize like you don't really make that much money just on YouTube. Uh, a lot of times people see YouTubers and they're like driving Ferraris and living in the hills in California. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, there's so much money on YouTube. And it is if in your crushing millions of views, you know, pretty much nonstop. Yeah. But you know, my general equation at Shop Mechanics is in our kind of demographic and our CPM that we get, normally we'll make between probably $2,000 and $2,500 per million views. So even if you do a million views, it's like, that's a lot of views for a platform. Um, but, you know, $2,000, $2,500, uh, it's not necessarily enough for a full-time income, right? right. Um, and so, you know, YouTube had a pivot in their algorithm about two years ago, which was when I was like, eh, it might be time for me to find another game when they really kind of pivoted away from being a search engine and helping people with things to being more of an entertainment platform. So they really kind of, they changed their algorithm to focus more so on entertainment and watch time. So essentially the longer you watch a video, the more videos you watch, the more they're gonna be rewarded in the algorithm, which for me was the complete opposite of what I was trying to do, right? Number one, I was trying to take people off a platform to monetize them. Yeah. Number two, essentially, I wanna teach and train people as fast as humanly possible. So ideally somebody should come to my channel, learn some stuff and go implement it, right? So they shouldn't stay on YouTube. Um, so the way kind of, you know, education is currently on the platform is just really, really difficult to monetize because A, they'll penalize you if, you if you push somebody off platform and then B, they'll penalize you if people are coming to your channel and leaving quickly, um, which if you're a good teacher and doing things the right way, that should happen, right? Um, and so essentially, you know, about two years ago, I was like, you, I, I need to figure out something different. Um, I could see the, the landscape was changing. I really started to fall in love more with the content side of things than like the training side of stuff. Um, you know, and so that's where I ended up, you know, with my co-founders launching my other companies, Players TV and Pro Class, where essentially we're helping professional athletes um, create their own content, create their own virtual training, and essentially be the go-to destination for that sort of stuff. So, you know, currently uh, Shop Mechanics basically just sits on autopilot. I upload a video every now and again. Um, you know, and essentially we still do about a million views a month kind of on autopilot. And that speaks to, I think the power of evergreen content, you know, we still get about 10,000 new subscribers every month, you know, kind of give or take. So, you know, although I haven't really done much on it in the last two years, like if you go back and look at the catalog and check up, check out the upload dates, uh, it's very few and far between, but it continues to grow. And, you know, it's pretty cool because I think, you know, we're at about 150 million lifetime video views on the platform. 
Um, and I've had just, you know, all walks of life from, you know, I bump into Kyrie Irving. He says, Hey man, I love your shot mechanic stuff. Or I bump into somebody in Greece and they're like, Hey coach Colin, I love your stuff. It's, it's just been cool to be able to have an impact on the game globally, um, that you couldn't do, you know, 10 years ago or that sort of stuff. So it, it, it's been a fun ride. That's so cool. Like, I geek out about this stuff. It's just kind of, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't mean cool in the sense of, Oh, YouTube kind of screwed you and your business model over. But yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's cool to hear, like you've had to adjust and pivot your business model because of that. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. I'm glad that you were open and honest about that too, because so many people think you're going to make a ton of money off YouTube. Like, no, like there's, you've got to find ways to, it's, it's a good branding mechanism and yeah, you can get a, a little bit of chunk of change, but it's not a livable wage for a lot of people. In fact, the yeah. vast majority, but, um, in a sense, we always say this in my, in the, the world that I live in, right? YouTube it would be a, considered like a funnel in and of itself. Like you're, you're branding yourself, branding yourself, and then you're trying to take them off. Now it does penalize you on YouTube, but it does work. Um, if yeah. you do it properly, same with my podcast, right? I I'll put it here in the description of the show a couple different things for people, you know, like that, if, if that, that's the reality, you're using it to build your brand and then you, you take them over and, and use it as a funnel. Your call to action at each end, end of the, the show is going to be different, right? John Lee Dumas is all about that. He has eight calls to action. So every show that he runs, there's a new call to action at the end of it. And those live on evergreen. So maybe six years down the road, somebody pops on this episode and they're like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Let me check this out and see if that's still available. Maybe I'll go get an audible trial and listen to an audiobook. Oh, well, there's some money for me. You know, like it, it almost, yeah. almost ends up being, uh, it's fun that way, I guess I should well, say. And, and the thing, you know, the thing that I loved about YouTube is I basically kind of tr like, I see it as my essentially business PhD, right? You know, the basketball stuff was fun. It was fun. It was, it was a fun gig, you know, kind of while it was going on. Um, but really like to run a successful YouTube channel, if you're doing it with like you, or like I had one full-time employee who worked for me for about five years, um, essentially you, you need to learn how to do a lot of stuff, right? You'll learn video editing, you learn copywriting, you learn a lot of stuff about audio and sound design. You learn a lot about funnels and marketing and email marketing and SMS text message marketing, like pretty much what I kind of, you know, the biggest, I would say, uh, benefit to the shop mechanics experience for me, the views and everything like that was great, but more so learning all the skills around business um, is kind of, I think the, the most, uh, kind of important piece to the whole puzzle for me, because now as you go out into business, all those skills can translate in a bunch of different ways. Um, you know, and it's kind of like, essentially you get a, a PhD in online business more or less was kind of the, the best part about it. Dude. I, I love it. You, you learn, you learn. It's like trial by fire. You're learning all this stuff, but now you have those skill sets that you can take onto the next thing. Now you mentioned calling players TV and, and stuff and you're, and you're, you're working with this in this world. Now, what has been like your favorite part of this particular job as you kind of ascended in your uh, business career in the same, you know, you're in the athletic world, the sports world still, but what's been like your favorite part of this particular business venture for you? Yeah. You know, I think for me, it's always like the chase is the funnest part, right? Um, so with like shop mechanics, I got to a point where I felt like, you know, I made, I think 800 plus videos or something like that. And it's kind of like, we've said all there needs to be said. I kind of feel like I've gotten all the information with shooting that needs to be out there. Um, and so it kind of felt like we hit a ceiling essentially. Right. Um, so the most exciting thing about what we're doing with what, uh, the company's called players media group, which is essentially the holding company. And then we have different verticals. We own players TV, which is the more entertainment vertical, you know, uh, reality shows, documentaries, et cetera, with, with professional athletes and then pro class, which is more the virtual training side, skills, drills, breakdowns, tutorials, et cetera. Um, but really kind of the most exciting part is that like, 
we're doing things that haven't been done in the sports media industry, um, allowing athletes to own their own IP, own their own distribution. You know, it's pretty much like what Comedy Central did for comedy and what Food Network did for food and what MTV did for music we're basically doing for professional athletes. Um, so the most exciting, I'd say, kind of like funnest part about it is essentially like, you know, kind of heading out into the new frontier and, and getting to have a lot of really big wins, have some big losses, but at the same time, um, you know, getting to do something that hasn't been done before is, I'd say, probably the, the most exciting piece of what we got going on. So tell me, if you can, um, like, what's one of the, the things that you guys are providing? Like, what's one of the content creation platforms that, like, maybe an athlete's using from Players TV? Like, you, leveraging Players TV to be able to do that. Is there, like, a podcast? Is there a show for these athletes that you guys have already started? Like, what are these things that we can, can hear about? Because I'm, I'm, like, stoked. This is sick. So Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have a handful of different ways we work with kind of professional athletes and it kind of depends on where they're at on their content journey. Um, you know, so you got like really high level athletes, you know, guys like in our roster, guys like Chris Paul or Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade, who have their own production companies. They're currently selling content shows to Netflix or ESPN plus or whatever. Um, but there's very few athletes that are actually kind of at that top tier of like, you know, actively selling content. Um, the vast majority of athletes fall in kind of a tier below that where they're really interested, they really want to, maybe they've started to set up their own production company, but don't really have the distribution mechanism. Um, so when we looked around the landscape and it was kind of like, essentially there's all these athletes that want to create content, but there's nowhere to really create content. And then when we throw in the equation of YouTube is very hard to, to monetize, um, you probably noticed about two years ago, there was a lot of athletes that were starting YouTube channels. Um, only to quickly realize that it's very difficult to monetize. So they'd spend, you know, $30,000 on production and then monetize it to the tune of like $400. Um, so basically we're like, hey, we need to recreate the ecosystem where it is the go-to destination for sports, lifestyle, and culture. And so that's kind of where the, the whole concept of players, uh, you know, TV was, was birthed. And so depending on how an athlete, you know, already is doing their content, sometimes we'll just distribute their content they're already making. Sometimes we'll work with them and partner with them to create a show or a concept to distribute either on our platform or somewhere else. Um, or sometimes we're bringing athletes who have zero experience in the content space, but are wanting to get reps in it. Um, and then, you know, create shows and that sort of thing. So there's a few different ways we work with it. And it kind of just depends on where they're at in the ecosystem. Yo, dude. So one of my favorite things, Colin is listening to athletes talk. So like when I got yeah. JJ Reddick doing his show, he's got a, he's got a podcast that he does. And I actually really enjoy listening to his insight because JJ Reddick, I never really got to hear him speak about the game until after he retired, but now he's speaking about the game. Draymond Green's kind of doing his thing now, trying to push his stuff. Um, then you got you got LeBron James and uninterrupted over there in, in you know California that they're they're kind of doing their thing. They had they had uh what was it, kneading dough? I think it was yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the shows they did. And I, I don't know how frequent they're publishing now, but when they had like a, a couple of episodes pop out on on uh YouTube about two years ago. Um, like you said before, they kind of slowed down there, but th those were like cool things to hear. Like it was a money, like talking about money and your contracts and how you spend your money. And that's something that I love hearing athletes talk about. So I think it's a huge space because we, we as sports fans want to hear from these athletes and see the content from them. And the fact that you're providing a platform for that is freaking sick. So where like on players TV, like, is there an app? Is this a streaming service? Like, how do they actually know it's coming from players TV? Where's your platform located? Yeah, good question. So we originally launched with Players TV, the linear digital channel. So basically, you know, a channel like ESPN, where it's scheduled programming, the show plays at 7pm, the show plays at 8pm, etc. Um, and so that's delivered pretty much primarily just through, you know, kind of OTT or internet service providers. So we're in about 
285 million home slash devices right now, you know, like Roku, we're on there. Um, you know, if you got an LG smart TV, um, Rakuten overseas, so in a bunch of different places. So basically you have this one channel that you stream and then you deliver it to a bunch of different spots. So that's where we kind of originally launched about two years ago. Um, we're getting ready to roll out our direct to consumer app experience here in the next like month or month and a half. Uh, we call that athletes on demand where essentially that's, you know, we call it like the Hulu of sports content. So we have a bunch of channel partners in there like Complex Sports, uh, Vice Sports, Impact Wrestling, Fight Network, uh, as well as a handful of others that are essentially distributing their content inside of our app. So, you know, if you're a sports fan, it used to be if you wanted to watch sports content, it's like, well, there's a little bit on YouTube and then there's a little bit on Showtime. and There's a little bit on HBO and you kind of have to like hunt and peck to find the stuff you want to watch. So essentially, we're trying to create the Hulu of sports, entertainment, lifestyle, culture kind of all in one spot. And we're getting ready to launch that in the next probably month, month and a half. Dude, Colin, I am. This is so cool. I am so well, glad you. that you you uh, have have chosen to like share this information because, to me, honestly, this is all news. Like, I I, I kind of knew what you were doing. I've, I I know who you are and what you've been doing, but I think there's a lot of people that can like they're gonna geek out about this. I know this for a fact, actually. So this is sick. You kind of just do your thing in the background, and like you're just out here just building a freaking sweet business, and like. I bet people that don't know you would have no clue, man. They'd be like, oh, yeah, he's just a basketball player. Cool. No, nah, dude, he's freaking revolutionizing the game here. Um, what would you say then, Colin, in your experience from playing sports and then now working in the sports world, what has been the biggest thing you could take away from your sports career, whether it be intramurals, whatever it may be, even if it's high school, uh, JUCO, intramurals, whatever, what you learned in your time as playing as an athlete and being around the game You've taken into your business world, um, into your business experience. What's the skill set that you could say translated the most into real life for you? You know, that's a really good question. I'd say there's probably there's probably two main ones. I'd say first and foremost, just kind of you know being a competitor more than anything, right? Um, you know, we built the business, especially on the players' TV side. We worked on it for about three straight years before really we kind of even announced what we were doing. You know, we're kind of hurt or, you know, kind of uh, corralling all these athletes in at the same time. And essentially, you know, it was a lot of plane flights and sleeping in the airports and doing that sort of stuff. Um, and essentially, you know, you don't get to do that sort of stuff unless you're like hyper competitive. Um, you know, so I'd say like the competitive aspect is something that, um, you know, I think is, is a really easy one to one comparison from sports to business in general, right? It doesn't matter what it does. It doesn't matter if it's your podcast or your other media, you know, kind of networks. If you're not competitive, it's probably not going to grow as fast as it possibly could. Um, so I think that's the first part, you know, ethically competitive, we'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then number two, I think, you know, being a good teammate. So, you know, I grew up playing point guard. I grew up doing, you know, kind of really wanting to get other players involved on the team and that sort of stuff. And so I think from, kind of the emotional intelligence perspective, there's something that you learn from being a teammate where, hey, you're not always going to get to be the one that eats. Some nights you're going to score zero points. You know, if you're playing football, sometimes you're going to be the dude who's blocking for the guy who gets the touchdown or whatever it is. Um, and so I think that kind of like sports mindset is definitely one that translated into business. And, and especially as as we grew into a company that now we have about, you know, between 25 and 30 employees, um, you know, coming from another company where I had one employee, uh, you know, I think that kind of emotional intelligence teammate mindset is very helpful for building and scaling teams, um, you know, because you can kind of understand how different personalities work together, how different personalities need different things to be successful. Um, so I'd say that's kind of the other piece that really, you know, growing up playing sports, I think helped a ton when it came to business. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. And I'm glad I hope those who are listening right now, they'll rewind this and, and go 
take a note real quick of what you just said. I think that's a huge piece. You can't eat every night. Like every night, it's not going to be <laughs> yeah. 20, 25 plus and whatnot. You, you're going to have to be able to adjust and, and be okay with that and be okay with your teammates success. You know what I mean? Cause it's for the, the betterment of the team. And obviously it's, it's worked for you. That's the, that's the reason I'm, I'm glad you shared that because we're talking to somebody who has had success in the business world post sports career, but you're still playing, but like, I mean, post your sports, actual like competitive drive, yeah. you know, college career and whatnot. Um, that is something that you can translate. I always tell people athletes are not dumb jocks, Colin. That's what I try to no, tell people. They're not. They're not. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, some of them are knuckleheads. You know what I mean? But like, they're not. They're not stupid people. They take a lot. They learn a lot of life skills that they can translate into the real world. And I mean, athletes can potentially make some of the best employees and the the best entrepreneurs if they utilize and leverage those skill sets that they acquire. Not everyone does that, but uh, a lot of them do and can and do that. So. Colin, what's what's next for you? Like, I guess if, now that we know Colin Castella, what is next for Colin moving forward in the next two years? I mean, you've you've built all these things. You've had such a, an awesome career so far, and I'm sure there's ups and downs like a heartbeat. You know, you have to have the, the peaks and valleys. If it flatlines, then you're dead. So you've had these probably throughout your whole business career. But what I guess is next? I know you mentioned you're making an app. Um, are you guys planning on, you know, scaling out Players TV uh, to to bigger heights like what's next for for your guys' business model yeah you know that's a good question so basically you know i think we have a handful of things on this horizon and basically really players media group so that's the holding company at the top is is built off of the power of the collective right professional athletes coming together doing business together rather than me versus you one versus one right um which in the past that's kind of how a lot of professional athletes have uh essentially gone through business right you know they kind of compete on the court and then they compete off the court for all the all the business that they're going to do so really we built players media group to essentially be a collective of professional athletes to do cool stuff together right so players tv is the entertainment content vertical which we jumped in first pro class is kind of the virtual sports training vertical that we jumped in second um so you know i'm not 100 percent sure where the next verticals will come from you know i think there's some very interesting pieces around philanthropy i think there's some very interesting pieces around e-commerce um and really essentially we're kind of uh, basically just taking the power of the collective of all these kind of world-class athletes and then harnessing that laser in different directions at different times so where that'll be in two years i'm not 100 sure um you know for sure we're going to have a heavy focus in the media space with both players tv you know the linear channel and the direct-to-consumer app as well as pro class um you know so ideally you know hopefully dominating the content space but then starting to look into the the future of you know what's kind of next for professional athletes and and the power of the collective i love it man and are these professional this is the question i wanted to ask i mean i talk to athletes all day long right but a lot of them are retired some of them are you know current um but are, are you guys specifically focused on current professional athletes are you is it retired athletes do they need to be stateside could they be overseas like who are the athletes that you are when you say professional athletes could you like i guess specify what, what you who you guys are targeting in your niche? Yeah. So basically we just kind of look at professional athletes in general. We're, you know, so currently we have about 55 professional athletes as investors and partners. Um, you know, I would say we definitely skew heavier in the basketball space. Um, part of that is because basketball players were kind of the first group to, to begin making content and start thinking about the media space. Um, so of those 55 ish, I would say probably 30 are NBA and WNBA players. Um, some retired, some active, um, you know, I think as far as kind of the overall goal is, you know, we do want to grow even more sport verticals, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of interesting overseas components when it comes to soccer and cricket and some of these other, you know, kind of sports that are large internationally. So basically our only criteria are you got to be a professional athlete. You can be active or retired. 
Um, and then, you know, depending on the athlete is, is kind of, um, what their involvement wants to be. Right. So we might have a guy like DeMar DeRozan who comes in and he's like, Hey, I'm not super interested in the entertainment content, but I really want to leave a legacy on the skill development side of things. Uh, I'll do the pro class vertical. Right. Or we'll have somebody who's kind of more like, Hey, I want to only do the entertainment side. Or you got a guy like Chris Paul, who's like, Hey, I'd like to do both. Right. So we have a, a large group of athletes and they kind of have a menu of what they want to choose and what they want to do. Um, so our hope is just to continue to be able to give them as many options as possible. And, you know, essentially be the uh, distribution outlet who gives athletes more of an opportunity because the more and more athletes we talk to, the more of them had a documentary or had things that they wanted to do. But, you know, Netflix is like, Hey, I'm sorry, you're too small of a name. Or, you know, HBO is like, Hey, we've already allotted our sports content budget for the year. We're not interested. So essentially being able to be the platform that that gives athletes an opportunity to, to not only get their reps, but to create the cool stuff is I think probably the main goal um, because like you said, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing how good these professional athletes are at like other stuff. It kind of makes me sick to my stomach sometimes where it's like, you get to be like one of the five best basketball players in the world, but also get to be like a fantastic businessman, but then also get to have, you know, this like other incredible talent. So it's, it's definitely the type of thing where, you know, we're excited because not only does it help showcase athletes in a positive light where sometimes they don't get to be, um, but at the same time, it helps uh, fans connect with an athlete as well. Um, so what, you know, what we've found is by the content we create, we actually kind of create a deeper bond between athlete and fan than they would normally have if they only got to watch them play their sport. So that's been kind of the, the fun back end to it as well. And you are doing like I, you're you're my spirit animal. That's basically all I'm <laughs> yo. I think it's so cool. I, I only got a couple questions, two questions left for you, Colin. I'll, I'll respect your time, but um, man, it's okay. So I've got a lot of connections in the sports world. Naturally, you know, just with what I do for the last five years, just been interviewing a ton of different sports figures. Um, let's say somebody was interested, whether they're a current athlete, like you know, let's just say Jerry Stackhouse, for example. I don't know if he's working with you or not, but like you know, got Jerry Stackhouse for my show. Let's just say. For example, let's say Jerry was like interested in, you know, maybe he has something that he would, he was like, oh man, this might be a great opportunity. Let's say an athlete wants to do that. How, how do they get in contact with you, Collins, so that we know how, like how these athletes could, you know, potentially utilize your services and your platform? Yeah, great question. I mean, if anybody like wants a cold reach out, they can always go to playerstv.com and we've got a contact form at the bottom. Um, we have a handful of athletes that kind of hear about us through a press release or something on social. You know, sometimes they reach out in the DMs. That's also a way to go about it. Um, a lot of times we move very organically too. So I'd say the vast majority of our athletes that we have have come through personal connections of an athlete who's currently on board. Um, we find that that moves, uh, it's a lot more of an organic approach, right? Rather than if you're going through an agent or going through some sort of, you know, kind of uh, normal, uh, I would say kind of stream that most companies have to. Um, so, you know, either reach out directly on the website or through the DMs, or if you know one of the athletes on our roster, feel free to hit them up too. Cause a lot of times we get that kind of like one-to-one -one pairing and connection, like, Hey, come talk to my guy over here and, and that sort of stuff. So that, that's kind of the, the main ways that people will reach out to us. Oh, I dig it. I dig it. So those who are listening, if, if it, you know how to contact them, but if you wanted to maybe contact me, I could get a hold of Colin too and just let him know like, Hey, so-and-so is interested. Let's whatever conversation you guys need to have. Um, I think that's awesome. I, I am so amazed at what you've been able to build and I look forward to seeing what you got. Um, I actually, I'll let you go. Cause like, I don't want to keep, like, I could talk on for hours and hours. So hopefully maybe Me later <laughs> after this, this is done, maybe we'll, I'll, I'll pick your brain on a few things and, and whatnot. Cause I love the business world, but I love what you're doing, Colin. I think it's amazing. Um, I love that you're still competing too. You get out there and hoop at, at the Bam Jam tournaments. You're out there. I mean, if it weren't for a last second corner three, that was wild. You guys were 
potentially going to win a championship this year in, in the spring. So. Should have had a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should have had a t-shirt. Hey, we both lost in the championship. So let's, uh, I got I lost in the six and over competitive. You guys lost in the six and under. So, well, it was elite, though, I think, for you guys. But, yeah, you're still out there hooping, and I, and I love to see it. So, Colin, um, I'm looking forward to, to maybe chatting with you more in, in, in the future. But I just want to say thanks for joining the Game Time Guru podcast, man. Awesome, Shane. Much appreciated. It was a blast. Uh, uh, happy to come back anytime. Appreciate you, man. For all those who are listening, make sure you leave a review of the podcast and subscribe to the channel because we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.